following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. (laughs) Where y'all been? Hadn't seen you in a week. Good to see everybody today. I'm going to get right into the Word of God. Uh, because I, I want to take enough time to be able to say what I want to say. Now, on, on trips, when Pat and I take trips, this is the honest truth. I don't, I don't talk a lot. I really don't. I listen to her uh, because she is the navigator, and I was the driver of the car, and I had to listen to instructions because we were in eight states plus Canada, and we needed, we needed some Google Maps to help us. And we got there. We drove over 1,400 miles in about five days. We saw a lot of stuff. I'll share that with you later. I don't have time, but it's, it, it's phenomenal. It really, really is. We went on some of these old blue highways, these old back roads. We found covered bridges. We found apple orchards. We got us some cider donuts. Dear God, if you've never ate a cider donut, you hadn't been saved yet. That's amazing. Cider donuts are amazing. And dip them in cider. Oh, Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. I ate three. I ate three. I ate three. Three, 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 three. All right. All right. I'm glad to be home. It's an honor. So I came to church yesterday for about, oh, eight hours or so and just kind of getting the feel of being back in God's house. And I always felt good. My office said, welcome home. And I, I appreciate that. My staff is so kind to me and so generous to me. I had balloons hanging on the door and my office was cleaned and dusted and uh, because I keep them out. I don't like people messing with my stuff, but all my stuff is missing now because my desk is cleared. But, boy, it sure looks nice. But it won't take me long. I'll get some more stuff on that desk. I love you folks very, very much, and you know that. And we're glad to be home. My wife and I enjoyed one another. We enjoyed the trip. We had a great time, and we're home safe. That's the main thing. We're back to the church we love, and we're happy to be here. Would you stand all over the building? You're awesome people. And Friday night, I want to make a push. Brad did, I know, but I want to make a push about Friday night. Uh, four-star General Vincent Brooks, who was, in, uh, who was in the Asian front, and he dealt with that guy at the bad haircut in North Korea. He dealt with him. That was his charge. He dealt with him. And so he will be speaking. He's going to give his life story on Friday night. And I just think it would be very, uh, very appropriate and very germane to show up. Uh, this guy has got something to tell us, and he sits right here in the first service, sits right on the second row here, and he's a tremendous person, and they've chosen our church a long time ago to be a part of it, and so I'm just very, very happy that he's going to be doing our speaking for us. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I'm, 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 very, I'm very rabid about, I, I'm, I'm very energized about. I want to talk about building human ladders. I'm speaking on building human ladders. And all you that are tuning online, we thank you for for tuning in. We had a huge tuning in audience in the first session, and I trust that this will be also. Thank you for showing up to church. Thank you for for backing Pastor Brad and, and Cass. They did an admirable job while we were gone. They're tremendous people. I got all kinds of texts. I got all... I got all kinds of texts. They stay as long as you want. Just stay as long as you want. We're fine. Come home when you get ready. 
I love that. I love that. I don't have a Saul spirit. I have a David's heart. And I love the fact that God is blessing our executive pastor and his sweet wife, who happens to be a girl that I raised. Thank you very much. No, Patty did. I was just around. I want to talk about soul winning today. The Bible said in Ezekiel, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. That's a sad, that's a sad scenario. That's a sad plight. I found none. God needs to find some at Christian Life Austin. He needs to find some people. My subject today, building human ladders. Turn to somebody and say, I want to hear the pastor and I want to let him preach to me today. God bless you. It won't be lengthy. You may be seated. The headlines of the Hudson Dispatch reading said this, harrowing tale of scenes on Titanic by Miss Dowdle. Beneath the headline in smaller print were these words, many men sacrificed their lives in forming human ladders to help women and children to lifeboats when the Titanic sank. Elizabeth Dowdle was one of the passengers on the Titanic. She was a governess to a six-year-old daughter of a woman named Estelle Emanuel who was a famous opera singer. And when the Titanic began to sink, Elizabeth carried Virginia, the daughter, to the last lifeboat to leave the Titanic, lifeboat number 13. They were, the, they were the last in a throng of people trying to get on a lifeboat. Elizabeth described how the muster deck stood 70 feet from the level of the sea. And the screaming was so loud that a single voice could hardly be heard. And when the final lifeboat, number 13, started to be lowered from that deck level, Elizabeth fought to get her charge, Virginia, on board. Early on, panic had set in so bad that partially loaded lifeboats began to be lowered into the water, and so now there was no space for everyone who wished to escape the ship, and that's why there were so many lives lost. One man saw their plight to save little Virginia, and he took hold of another man's hand, and together they formed a ladder spanning the gap between the deck and the lifeboat as it was lowered. Stepping across it on this human ladder, Elizabeth carried Virginia to her safety or her salvation. She said that this was not unusual. Much should be said for the noble and heroic acts of many of the men and should ever remain in the reminiscence of the history of the world. Several social leaders or men of wealth grasp hold of the limbs of laborers and sacrifice their lives just to build the human ladder where women and a child escaped from death. Then speaking of the particular man who helped her and the child, Elizabeth said, I will never forget him. He did for me something nobly. He died nobly. To stand in the gap, God's looking for such a people. He said, I sought for that kind of man. Now, I'm not going to tarry long over this text today. But it's an amazing thing every time that I go to the big city of New York, something happens to me that I can't shake, I can't wash it off, I can't bathe it away. It's a grip. It's a grip on my spirit, on my soul, because I see teeming millions of people. I talk to them, I share with them. I was privileged to meet some pretty neat people on this trip, we'll share that later. But I always talk about the Jesus factor. I always talk about the ministry factor. And I always talk about the better life. 
living for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I leave places like that, I think, oh God, the mission is so great. The time is so short. And God is looking for somebody, somebody in this world that will make up hedges rather than destroy them. And I want to be someone that makes up those kind of hedges in people's life. I want to be a good news ambassador. Anybody want to join me? I want to be a good news ambassador. I want to, when I leave a room, I want people to say, he had something that I'd like to have on my menu. He possessed something that I'd like to possess in my life. There was something about that person. There was something about that woman that I think that if I could follow after that, I might find some peace and sanity in my life. I believe that God is in this building right now. And I believe that God is looking for certain people to assist in his work. And I believe that the hedge is so torn and the gap is so big, it will take many of us. And I said it this way, I believe it will take all of us to join hands to save this world. Why don't you put your hands together and say, count me in, Pastor. I want to be a part of a kingdom that's going forward and upward and not down and defeated. People get passionate about many things. You know that, don't you? Some of you last night probably were doing the St. Vitus dance. You probably were. I don't know what that even looks like. Somebody said the river dance was invented by a family that had seven kids in one bathroom. (laughs) You'll get that after a while. But last night when Mr. Altuve hit that home run, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that's pretty passionate, isn't it? Last night when Dicker the kicker made a kick, Pretty passionate, isn't it? Come on now, it makes you, it messes you up. And this morning, give me that, Brad. This morning, one of my favorite people, member of this church, brought me this today. His name is Sergio Kendall. He played in the 2010 championship game, and it wasn't his fault that they got beat. He's a member of this church, and he brought me this one of his game jerseys, and I'm going to mat it, I'm going to frame it. And I cried when I got it today because... Sergio played in the day when Texas could tackle. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I've watched young people who suddenly are tired of work and exhausted with school. Somebody calls and said, let's meet at the gym for some basketball. They get energized. That's what they're passionate about. Some people are passionate about playing ball. They spend their energies doing this. They do. They draw their energies from it. Others are passionate about music. Randy's one of those kind of people. I love Randy because he's so passionate about what he does. And some women in this house are passionate about shopping. My wife's not passionate about shopping. She's passionate about spending. Don't worry about shopping. Just let me buy something. Some people are passionate about snowboarding and skiing and runners are passionate. Whoever here is a marathoner that does 26.2, God love you. If there's any triathletes in the building, and there are, God bless you. I'll, I'll watch you. And my eyes will get tired watching you, but I'm not passionate about that. Rock climbers are passionate. Cliff jumpers are passionate. Whether they're jumping in the water like Tom Brady getting fined by his team because he jumped in a, in a body of water or trying to find a new way to parachute off of a high cliff. People get passionate about all sorts of things. Have you ever wondered what God's passionate about? God's passionate about souls. His desire is to see all men saved and come to the knowledge of truth. It's not his will, folks, that anybody should perish. But all should come to repentance. Everybody say all. All. He wants everybody that he's ever created to be saved. 
God's not against anybody. Listen to me right now. God loves you. Listen to me right now. He don't, I don't care what you've gone through in your life. I don't care what trouble you're up against right now. There's a God I'm preaching about that wants to see you saved and on your way to glory, and he wants to be with you one day. Come on, somebody. God has a way of reaching the world through his body. He's granted us the ministry of what he calls reconciliation. We are the ladders across which people come to know him. He limits his great reach to our reach, and we are his hands, we're his feet. And Paul told Timothy, his son in the gospel in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he should pray and intercede that lost souls would come to God. So what are we? We're the hedge restorers. We're the gap bridge builders. We're the human ladders. There was a man in Chicago years ago that I read about. And when I read this story, it moved me. And I've preached it in a lot of places. I don't remember saying anything about it here. But he lived in Chicago. His name was James Lee. And one day he shot himself in a tavern telephone booth. He'd been drinking, went to the telephone booth to make a call. And he called the paper, told his story, and he shot himself. The paper tried to trace the call, but it was too late. But in his coat pocket, after he had taken his life, was found a drawing by a child in crayon, folded and worn. And on it was written, please leave in my coat pocket. I want to have this buried with me. The drawing was signed by Shirley Lee, who had perished in a fire five months before. It was his daughter. James Lee was so stricken by the loss of his daughter in that fire that he walked the streets of Chicago and he went up to total strangers to try to persuade someone to go to the funeral of his daughter. I am so glad to declare that David and Nancy Tienda will not have to bear that burden of losing their son alone. We'll be there with them and for them. Clap your hands for them. We're going to miss little old Christian. We're going to miss him. We're going to miss him. But he tried to persuade someone to go to the funeral. No family, no friends. Shirley's mother had died when the child was only two years old. And James finally found a church that would do the funeral and a pastor that would be kind enough to say something nice about his little daughter. And he offered the church some money to buy a plaque. He gave this modest offering so in 20 or 30 years, someone would wonder who Shirley Lee was and then say, you know what? Someone sure loved her very much because there's a plaque about her in the church. There's people like James Lee in Austin. You meet them every day. They work in your office. They're lonely. They're hurting. They're broken many times bitter because they don't have friendships. They don't have fellowships. They don't have people that say, I care to you. They don't carry signs around, but they exist. So can I just preach a little bit right now and say, why don't you just stop the race that you're in right now? Stop, get off the bus, get off the plane, get off the train, get out of your routine and find somebody and tell them that Jesus and me care about you and we love you. We love you very much. And I'd like to see your life better than it is because there's a God that I know about 
that can save you. You know, we've got this at the movies thing coming up. What a great time to bring people with you. You don't have to know the Bible to be a soul winner. You don't have to know the book to be a soul winner. You just have to know Jesus and have the peace of God in your life and transfer what you have in your life to their life and watch God transform their life to what your life is all about right now. Clap your hands real big. In fact, I have discovered something that the greatest three words in the English vocabulary, you know what they are? Sure you do. The greatest three words in the English vocabulary is I love you. Say it to somebody, I love you. Is that hard to say? I love you. Say, I love you back. I love you. That's the greatest three words in the English vocabulary. You know what the second greatest three words in the English vocabulary are? I forgive you. Woo. That's not as easy to say, is it? I forgive you. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> and you know what the third three greatest words in the English dictionary is, in the English language is? Supper is ready. <laughs> I love that. You need to let people know that God loves them, that he's forgiven them, and that he's got supper prepared for them, and he wants them to come home and be with him one day. Come on, somebody. It's time. See, because we're, God knows we're passionate people, he desires us to be passionate about souls. God loves our worship to him, and he also desires us to be passionate about souls for him. You know, Abraham was called a friend of God, and he was called a friend of God because he obeyed God. But he was passionate about the souls of Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll read in Genesis chapter 18 that because of a friendship, because God friended and loved Abraham as a friend, Abraham took God's confidence as an invitation to intercede for souls for those lost cities. We have a lost city that we're working in right now. I, don't, I hope you understand that. That there's a lot of people in this town that's not going to the same place that you have plans for. And that's why we're talking today as a church, folks. By the way, have you seen the building? It's going up. You've seen the new road out front. You see, if you go inside it, we've already got all the studs up. We got all the stuff up. We're going to bring the sheetrock in. We're going to put the windows in this week. Hallelujah. We're moving forward in the name of the Lord. We're building something for the Lord, and we're building it so more people can find Jesus through your witness because you're going to be a human ladder for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But Abraham said, Lord, let's talk. If there's 50 righteous in that 600,000 populated two cities, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? And God said, you know what I will, Abe? And Abraham was kind of shirking now and he was kind of shrinking. He said, Lord, what about 45? And God said, okay, Abe, 45. He said, God, wow, I'm on a roll. God, what about 40? And God said, if there's 40 righteous in the city, I'll spare the city. He said, God, could you do 30? It's in the book. He said, I'll do 30. <laughs> 20? I'll do 20. 10? Yeah. And somehow Abraham quit asking, quit praying, and God walked away. But I believe that if it was Lot, his wife, and two daughters, all that was in that city, God would have spared because he didn't want the righteous to be destroyed with the unrighteous. 
And God Almighty wants us to weep over our cities and pray about lost souls in our city. And God lead us to somebody. Everybody I meet that I know does not know the Lord after a few words and conversation, I try to direct them to Jesus Christ. Because I'm not big enough, but I've got a God that's great enough to do anything that I'm short of. But I will be a ladder to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ and put them in his hands and watch God do something awesome and mighty and great in their life. God's word tells us of the fate of those who don't obey the gospel. And that knowledge alone should motivate us to reach lost people. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die. He was a human ladder. It's Evan Roberts praying for Wales. Bend us, O Lord, a human ladder. It's Jim Elliott that many of you have probably read about who was murdered by a band of Indians in South America who said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He said it. And after Jim died, his wife returned to preach to those same Indians, human ladders, people trying to bring people to the Jesus Christ that we preach about. It's David Brainerd ministering to the American Indians despite his tuberculosis. He said to another fellow minister one day, a pastor, Jonathan Edwards, he said, I do not go to heaven to be advanced, but to give honor to God. It is no matter where I shall be stationed in heaven, whether I have a high seat or a low seat there. My heaven is to please God and glorify him and give all to him and to be wholly devoted to his glory. David Brainerd was a human ladder. What pleases God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our heaven is to please God Amen. and to please him by being passionate for souls. Let me ask you something. Let me just get real, real honest with you. Have you prayed about your family lately? Have you prayed about people that you know? You know the beauty of the, beauty of the Bible is that we're to reach our family. We're to reach out to our family. Have you prayed for your family? Have you asked God to help you find a way to reach your family? You know, God can use you. Well, Pastor, I don't think I'm good enough. You don't have to have any good enough in you. God will do the work. You just welcome people to your life, turn them over to Jesus Christ, be the ladder that will draw them out of where they are and put them where God can use them and touch their life and watch God do a work in their life. That's all it's about. It's not trying to convince people. It's not trying to argue with people. I, I was sitting with the pastor one day, and I, I didn't even tell this in the first. I said to the pastor one day that got in an argument with the waitress over the over salvation. And when, when he got argued, I just got up and left the table. I got up and left the table. I said, she, he's fussing with somebody, and she's waiting on us, and we're liable to get something in our food we don't want to eat. <laughs> I said it. So when she walked away, I said, would you come here just a minute? I said, ma'am, what he says does not represent me. I think you're a cool girl. I think you're special. I think you're mighty awesome. She said, wow, you go to the same church? I said, yeah, kind of, but not really. <laughs> People want to know that we love them, yes. that God can forgive them, yes. and that supper's waiting on you in a house of God. Yes. There is a place that you can go that everybody knows your name. Hallelujah. And it's not cheers. It's church. Come on, somebody. Help me preach right now. This house should be filled continually with people needing Jesus in their life. 
So the third thing I want to talk about is we should accept God's invitation and I'll be closed. A dying Dr. Lyman Beecher once said it when asked, you know a great deal, Dr. Beecher. Tell us what is the greatest of all things. And the dying preacher said, it's not theology and it's not controversy. It's to save souls. It's not fussing. It's not theology. It's to save souls. We have to reach people with the Jesus message that we know. God invites us to be passionate about souls. We should accept his invitation. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I was privileged. I was privileged to baptize a precious young family that's in service right now a week or so ago before I went on vacation that came from the Muslim faith and they're here right now and they're two of the sweetest people that I've ever met in my life and I was so privileged and, and I thought about it a lot why, why, why people fear radical Islam so much it's not just seeming, seeming bent on destruction but it is I think it's the zeal that Islam people have. They have a zeal. You take Islam, not just radical Islam, and you place it alongside modern Christianity. Now stay with me. One seems very, very hot. The other seems very, very cold. The Muslims have this theory that they're going to save the whole world and everybody's going to turn their way. But Christians are kind of hiding over here in a corner saying, oh God, protect us, take care of us. One seems convinced. The other seems unsure. One seems passionate. The other seems indifferent. I think that I know how to win Muslim people to Jesus Christ. You have to be compassionate and you have to be passionate. Cold Christians are not going to win people to Jesus Christ that have something that they are at zeal with more than we're at zeal with Jesus. Anybody happy about Jesus in your life today? Come on. Help me out right now. Anybody happy about Jesus right now? Come on, clap your hands real big. Anybody excited about Jesus? A soul winner is someone who never gets used to the sound of marching feet on their way to a lost eternity. One of the Lord's last acts at Calvary was to reach the lost thief. His last commandment was for us to win souls. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. His last prayer was for the forgiveness of souls. Father, forgive them. Can you hear the call of a soul winner? I think there's a call within that says I'd love to win a soul. I'm going to tell you, if you ever win a soul, you're hooked because it's like getting saved all over again. You're hooked. There's a call from without. Others are looking at you. There's a call from beneath. Those that are in hell are saying, go tell my brothers, go tell my sisters. And there's a call from above, work while it is yet day. See, if they will not seek, they must be sought. If they will not come, they must be brought. If they will not study, they must be taught. That's what I believe about this thing called soul winning. I close. I close. We're going to be passionate about something. Why can't we be passionate about winning souls to Jesus Christ? Samuel and Susanna Wesley had 19 kids. Somebody asked Samuel one day if he loved kids. He said, no, I love my wife. Eleven of them died in infancy. They had eight remaining. Samuel was an Anglican pastor in the small community of Epworth. An angry church member one night set fire to the parsonage trying to kill the whole Wesley family. Fortunately, the Wesleys awakened and they managed to rush their children outside to safety. And once outside, 
they realized they had miscounted. It's hard to count eight kids on a fiery night trying to get out. Young John, John Wesley, yes, that John Wesley, age five, was still in the house standing in an upstairs window. He was looking out the window. The fire raged throughout the house, and the boy looked helpless at his panicked parents. And It was too far for the boy to jump, and the house was too engulfed with flames for somebody to come in and save him and get out without being burned. But one of the neighbors, true story, did something beautiful. He raced up to the house, and directly beneath the window where John stood, he placed his hands against that house wall. And somebody seeing what he did ran up behind him and climbed up on his shoulders and placed his hands against the wall. And another man came and they helped him up. He got on that man's shoulders and he put his hands against the wall. And the fourth man was able to reach the window and he brought up a piece of metal to break the glass, pull young John to safety. And he was brought to safety by human ladders by men who said we will not let John Wesley perish. You know, little did they know that they were saving the founder of the Methodist church. Little did they know that they were saving someone who from that Methodist church would seek the Pentecost experience. That's where it started really in that church. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Susanna Wesley looked at her young son and he used this the rest of his life. She said, surely, John, you are a brand plucked from the fire. I'd like to reach somebody in this last hour that has no hope, that's lost in a drug world, lost in an alcoholic world, lost somewhere in society, no friends, roaming the street trying to find somebody to be a friend. I wish somebody that knew Jesus would walk up and say, I got something better. I have something better. I have something better. Oh, they come in all shapes and sizes. They come in football uniforms. They come in businessmen suits. They come in homeless looks. They come in downtrodden expressions. They come in all kinds and shapes and sizes. But people need a friend. And they need somebody that knows Jesus well enough that they can turn that person on to the greatest saving grace that they've ever known in their life. Because once they taste this, they'll never be happy again anywhere else. I close today. I'm going to tell you a little story about me. Randy, if you'll help me. I'm going to tell you a little story. It'll take me about two minutes, and I'm going to pray for you. I was a young pastor in, uh, in Dallas. I took that church when I was 25. I couldn't spell pastor. I sure couldn't be one. I didn't know how to pastor. I just thought if you preach good, everybody would come back and hear you. I didn't know how to organize. I didn't know how to do all that stuff. And one day a lady came to me. She said, Pastor, she said, I, I've got this family I'd like for you to go see. I think they're ready to find God. And I said, okay, I'll go. And that woman, I don't mind telling you, that woman had always bugged me. I was 27. She bugged me. People don't bug me like that woman bugged me. I've learned how to debug myself. And I thought, oh, if I don't go, She's going to be on my case. So I went and looked and saw where it was and wasn't really the neighborhood I wanted to get out of the car in. And so I, I came back to the church and two weeks later she walked up. She said, have you seen my friends yet? And I said, no, ma'am, I had She said, I know. They told me you hadn't come by yet. 
So she's checking to see if I was lying because she wanted to catch me. <laughs> that was how I thought when I was 27, and it just a little flashback hit me right then. And I said, I'll go. I will go. So I got in my car and I said, I'm going to witness to some people. And I had that attitude. And when I, when I drove up, the grass in the yard was about this deep because nobody cared. I think there was a lion cub hiding in that grass. <laughs> and the porch was splintered. It had holes in it. Somebody could fall through that porch. It was pretty bad. The screen was unhinged and the screen had holes in it. And I walked up to the door and I knocked as lightly as a man could knock. Thinking that maybe nobody could hear me and I could tell the woman that was driving me up a wall that I went and nobody was home. But three kids came running to the door and they looked at it and said, who are you? I said, I'm the preacher, I'm the pastor. Pentecostal church and they ran screaming to them the preacher's here <laughs> it was like Santa Claus had come and here come the dad he had been drinking all morning he was soused the wife was cooking she had a hard look in her eyes it was a tough day it was a tough day and I walked in and they offered me a coke and I drank some coke and and I stayed as long as I deemed necessary. Then I said, guys, I got to go. I've got a lot more people to visit today. Lie. That wasn't good. I didn't tell the truth there. And I walked out to my car. And when I turned around to get in my car, I didn't even realize it. The whole family had followed me to my car. And I turned around, those kids... Bye, Pastor Rex. Bye, Pastor Rex. Hugging my legs. Hugging me. We love you. And I was having the hardest time not breaking down because I've always been a softy. I've always been somebody that just, you know, that messes with me. I can't handle that. Kids with an alcoholic father in that dive. What kind of chance did they have? And I got in my car and I said goodbye and they just kept standing in the driveway and I backed out and they was waving at me like this, all five of them waving at me. And I turned to go down the street and they'd walked out to the street and they waved at me. And I looked in my rear view mirror, they're still waving at me. And then God hit me. God touched me and he said, son, when I found you, you were just like them. You were dirty. You were unkept. And you were broken. And I fixed you and you're driving a new car now. I pulled the car over. I put my head down on the steering wheel and I cried like a baby. And God birthed something in me that day. It's never gone away. People need Jesus. They need Jesus. And you can think, you can think Danny and Lisa and their three kids in Dallas, Texas. You can think them. The next morning at church, guess who showed up dressed wonderfully? 
The kids looked like they'd stepped out of a bandbox. Mom and dad had their best on. And when I gave the altar appeal, they all came. And that day, I baptized the whole family. That day, I baptized the whole family. And Danny, Danny got into the ministry. And one of his daughters is married to a preacher today. The whole family got converted when a pastor didn't want to go. But God taught him a lesson that everybody needs to be told that I love you and I forgive you. And supper's waiting. <laughs> Hallelujah. Supper's ready. Here's what I want to declare. Everybody needs to know the love of God. Everybody needs to know that they have been forgiven at a cross. And everybody needs to know that Jesus. Oh, 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 oh. My mom used to sing a song, stand on up. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to dismiss you. Stand up. My mom used to sing a song. You never mentioned Jesus to me. You helped me not the light to see. You passed me day by day and you knew I was astray, but you never mentioned Jesus to me. I just got to ask you, would you mind being a human ladder? The ship, this old earth is sinking. It's going down. There's some lifeboats. There's a lifeboat at 4700 Westgate Boulevard. It's called Christian Life. There's a lifeboat. We got some people that'll help people find Jesus. We baptized over 90 people this last month. We've helped some folks. We've thrown some starfish back in the ocean. But I want to declare that somebody's got to get red hot for this passion of just saying, you know, Jesus has changed my life. I met Curtis Martin, the former jet running back, and he had two beautiful babies with him the other day. And I told him what I did, and he latched on to me, and we had a long conversation. I said, Curtis, that game you played is just a game, but what you're holding here is your future. He said, thank you, Pastor. He grabbed me, thank you. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And if Curtis hadn't known the Lord, I could have led him to the Lord right then. But the bottom line is that people just need to become ladders. Ladders of mercy, ladders of grace, and ladders of hope. Because Jesus is looking for somebody that'll stand in the gap, make up the hedge, let him find some people in Austin, Texas. Would you bow your heads? I love you very much. Dear Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you for this special time with these wonderful people. God, I know we're passionate, but let us get passionate about who you are and what you are. Let us get passionate about seeing souls saved through our lives. Let us walk out of here and see the waitress different, see the people that we work with different, see the people on the street different. There's probably some James Lees walking the streets of Austin and San Marcos and New Braunfels. There's people walking the street that need Jesus. Let us be the human ladder. Let us be a ladder. Build us into that kind of person. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Turn to somebody and say, God loves you. Say, God forgives you. And say, he's got supper waiting on us. I love you. See you Wednesday. God bless. You're awesome people. Sorry to hold you a little late today. God bless. I love you.